Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As you may be able to tell, it's a little bit of a different one this week. Um, I'm Rachel from Little Vintage Photography, and also you may know me as the co-host of Sunny 16 podcast. So today we're going to be doing a slightly different um, approach to what we usually do with the usual fare. Um, to give you a little bit of background, Graham from Sunny 16 had asked or maybe forced us into doing this now he came to myself and the two other people who are going to be on the call with me today um and basically said i've got an idea now graham's ideas are always interesting off the top of his head and um generally lead to somebody else having to take the fall for it um which has meant that i am currently leading today but we're doing it as more of a discussion rather than an interview I have two lovely guests with me. Um, they are Tina Rowe and Isabel Curtis. And we're going to be looking at this as more of a discussion from female uh, film femme fatale discussion point. Um, so um, my wonderful um, extra co-hosts for today. Um, hi to uh, Tina and Isabel. Hello there, ladies. Hello. Hi. <laughs> it's really nice to have a chat with you today and uh, as I mentioned this is all entirely Graham's fault unless it turns into a wonderful exciting um, podcast that we're currently that we keep getting asked to uh, to do over and over again in which case I will take all the credit <laughs> for that um, but uh, basically what we'd like to do is maybe have a little bit of a discussion more from a female perspective it doesn't have to be um, about uh, us necessarily as women but um, we've had a few questions come in um, some from Graham um, and some are from a couple of other female um, photographers who uh, who I've spoken to about this and who were all quite interested to know uh, a bit more from our perspective. So as a little sort of starting point, maybe we could have a quick chat about what you've both been up to. Um, I know that currently, um, Tina, you're in the middle of um, stumbling across the room trying to finish off book binding for an exhibition or for some project that you've got coming up um and Isabel obviously you've also done some book binding in the past so I'm the only non-book binder on the call today <laughs> which makes me quite sad so ladies you'll have to tell me a bit about it Tina do you want to tell us what you've been up to <laughs> um well we have an exhibition the my um the collective that I'm a part of we have a little exhibition starting tomorrow night and it's only in a really small place, so we're putting small objects into it. So I thought I would um, bind some photographs that I'm, some images and some text that I've been working on and offer them as a kind of pamphlet as part of the exhibition. It's a selling exhibition as well. That's fantastic. Is that E5 Process, is it? That's E5 Process Collective, yeah, yeah. And um, just for those who maybe um, didn't hear the last time you were on the show because obviously uh, you did an interview with myself and um uh, sorry with um graham and aid um could you tell us a little bit about e5 process collective yeah we're um a, a community darkroom that um is based in hip and trendy east london mm -hmm. um it's uh we're run by members we um we offer black and white processing and color processing and printing and um, we also run courses, so we do a lot of alternative processes, court courses. We've done a lot of collodion courses, <gasps> cyanotype and all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and well, that's it, really. <laughs> that's all <laughs> the stuff I love. <laughs> and we, we cool. also work um, with other people. So we did, um, we did a collaboration with a sonic art collective last spring called Breathing Spaces. They had a residency in... Uh, a church tower in uh, Hackney and we were part of a 12-hour performance and we produced a load of pinhole pictures and lift prints and things to go with it. I do remember seeing a load of fantastic photos of the church tower and I was going to say was that what that was from clearly clearly it was yeah. uh, was that was that a funded project how, how does it work with your collective and your membership and are you the only woman in that or are, are there other other female photographers as part of that? Oh no, there's a lot of women. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. That's so good and actually quite unusual to hear. I think. <laughs> yeah, well, there's. Well, I wouldn't say the majority probably are male, but that there is a very good representation of female at, at our dark room. Yeah. Excellent. And um, so you're you're putting together these uh, pamphlets for for tomorrow. For um, is this some? Uh, would they be to sell as well? as for yeah. people to look at yeah it okay. would be nice if somebody gave me some money for all the time effort and stuff that I put into them uh, absolutely but it's also an exercise in producing work in a particular way 
because I've never I've never made an edition before. I usually make singles, so it's time it, to make an yeah. So so it would be an actual proper full edition this time. That that's awesome. And um, um, Isabel, you have obviously done some bookbinding as well. Um, can you can you both or one or other of you talk me through the process because it's something like I say I've never done and I've always been quite intrigued by. That's the problem when you ask two people. <laughs> No one will reply. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, you've answered now, Isabel, so <laughs> you might as well carry on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, um, I, I love the whole process of the bookbinding. And it, it basically starts with the with the idea in the, in the very beginning, um, a selection of pictures either made for the book specifically or from your archives that are kind of linked together. Lots of editing work, lots of test printing involved and um, for me I think that the parts that I enjoyed most was finding the right paper which can be a real challenge <laughs> especially since uh, I decided in the end to go for my books with some uh, Japanese papers so I also had, had to learn how to best print them. Um, I thought you were going to say speak Japanese for a minute I was thinking, <laughs> in terms of the challenge of actually ordering them from <laughs> <laughs> I know your four words in Japanese. That's uh, pretty much <laughs> all I get. But um, um, yeah, it's um, select a selection of of papers, how you want to bind them, and then uh, the final binding is actually is actually not that difficult. I chose for my book. I chose some Japanese binding, fitting with the with the papers. Um, so um, that was that was really nice. Very simple. I would say everybody can do that. You just have to put some time aside. I don't know what Tina, what you're doing, what kind of binding you're doing for your. Uh, it's a pamphlet, so it's just um, a, a single signature, and then it's sewn, hand sewn. So a signature is where you you fold it, and and you make the. So it, it's a, just a bunch of pages that are then folded in the middle and sewn together. That's the simplest way of explaining it. Oh. Properly bound books are usually made up of multiple signatures that are then sewn together with webbing and then put into what's called a case, which is the hard sort of skin that goes on books. I, I'm not doing anything fancy like that. I'm not cloth binding or anything like that. I'm just sewing them. And I wrap. haven't done that either. Mine were also folded and then the Japanese stitching at, yeah. the, at the back. So yeah. I, I kind of prefer that. <laughs> I yeah I, I I couldn't begin to do the other stuff. It, I'm I'm really hoping that putting the the cover you know the cover you have to be very carefully. You have to glue them onto the boards really carefully and fold it all in so it looks professional. And it usually looks like a four year old's done it. If I do something like. <laughs> Well, you know what they say, practice makes perfect, etc. Um, it, it's quite funny uh, with what you're talking about there, because actually one of the questions that came from one of our um, other female photographers who I spoke to about this uh, was, what does your work process look like? So obviously you're already starting to talk to us a little bit about that. Um, Isabel, you mentioned that um, you start with the paper. Um, do you start with actually with the prints first or do you go out to shoot with a specific um image with those specific images in mind or do you go actually this is the paper i want to use and this is how i want the final thing to look i'll find i'll then make the images to go in it which way around do you work it i um have the pictures first and then choose the paper to go with it but uh, luckily um for me i found a, pa a paper that works pretty much with uh, most of my work it, it, there's just something that works together there. So I have two, three different types of papers that I reduced it to, but um, I tried, uh, I would say 30, 40, maybe 50. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, you could say, a bit obsessive about papers. <laughs> you do, you turn into a massive paper nerd. Do you live in London, Isabel? No, in Denmark. Oh right! Oh well, yeah. That's there's because in London there's there's this shop called John Purcell Paper, which is um, it's south of the river, so I don't go there that often because I may not make it back. That's a big um, track. <laughs> in this place, they sell absolutely every kind of paper you could imagine, oh, and you, you go in there, and it's it really is absolutely amazing. I was in there yesterday because I was buying everything at the last minute, but. Um, 
I was able to say to the the woman, one of the people that works there, I'm I'm looking for this particular weight. I'm going to print it on ink. I'm going to you make inkjet prints, but it's going to be double sided and it needs to be folded into a pamphlet so it can't get too thick. And she just then starts saying, "Well, try this, try this." Wow, <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, look at you too. Do you um do you get to go in and like touch all the papers and and hold them up to the light and check how they feel with the weight and and everything? Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, it's 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 really nice in there. It's it's it 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 is geared more towards um more professional side of it. So people that you know, like proper companies that make art books that that do like quite large editions. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, there's also another shop called um, Shepherds, which is mm-hmm. in Victoria, where they sell all these beautiful, um, very very delicate Japanese gampy papers and kozo papers that cost an absolute fortune. Mm-hmm. But you can go in there as well and try them all. I, I like all that, but I can't really afford to go there. And most of the work I do needs to be printed on slightly cheaper stuff mm, that's after payday that that you can go there <laughs> yeah. i yeah. got a huge delivery of lots of sample sizes and uh, papers from uh, the u.s so um, that was uh, yeah also not something i would do too often <laughs> in terms of um papers obviously we're talking about um printed work going on to papers that would then be bound into a book um do you both print your own in the dark room it, Tina I know you do Isabel do you also print in the dark room sorry not yet but I will from next week on next week that's yep. so exciting oh wow okay so tell us a little bit about how that's come about then yeah but um, it won't be um, silver gelatin printing but I'm going alternative so mm-hmm. I love hearing about cyanotypes mm-hmm. and stuff um, I, uh, I've wanted to do that for quite a while and last year I was lucky to get a UV box a used yes. one yeah. And uh, we just had to safely install it in my little dark room. And that we did over the Christmas holidays. So now everything's ready. I have the kits for the cyanotypes, for example, yeah. and argurotypes and gum by, gum by chromates ready. So oh. next week, I'm going to start. You're, you're ready to go? Oh. Faster, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds absolutely wonderful. I'm, I'm very jealous because just it's just about the whole like getting the time getting that set up actually kind of like feeling like you're making this um space really ready for you to work in as an artist I think there's something really special about that and and kind of for me the way that I do it everything kind of has to be the in the space has to be right before I'm able to feel like yes I can just um shut the door for like two days and just work solidly um and I think that's the biggest problem I find is is that there's always something that's not quite it doesn't feel quite right or something and it becomes an excuse doesn't it you know for not for not going and actually spending that time so um so I applaud you for that and I'm really really pleased to hear about that um now um, Isabel, you may know or may not know, but um, Tina does a lot of, with the um, lithographs as well, don't you? Um, is that is that the right term, Tina? Sorry. No, just lith printing. Lith, lith printing. Print. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and so that's another alternative process. I don't know if you could maybe talk to us a little bit about that again for those who maybe haven't heard before, and maybe it'll be something that Isabel will take up. I would <laughs> love to. I tried was- to find a teacher for that. Uh, I contacted. Um, what's his name? Rodman, Tim Rodman. Yeah. But, uh, he doesn't do any, it seems he doesn't do any courses anymore. So um, I'm all ears. Oh, well, come and visit us in London and, and, yeah. um, we, and do some of this printing with us because we love doing it. Um, it's, it's, um, it, it, it came about through, I think, I think he was the first person to really start doing it. I'm not entirely sure about that. But what it is, is using the wrong chemistry with usually old, out of date and fogged papers as well. So it's um, for, it's the um, developers that they used to use for reproducing magazines and newspapers when they did them on those big old copy cameras. So it's, it's that developer. And you use a really dilute developer with a bit of some spent developer as well so you have what's called old brown which is developer that's been used and isn't effective anymore and that's start it's like a starter and you you add that to this dilute developer and uh, you just print um your photo in under the enlarger usually for a lot longer than you would normally expose it for and then you put it in the developer and rock you just rock the tray for ages and ages and eventually the print starts to appear 
and it's I like it a lot because all of the work that you do is really in the developing tray rather than from mm. the enlarger where you need to be very accurate yeah. about times. So it, it's, Sorry. you take it out of the, the developer by eye, you know, you don't you don't just do it for a set period of time. You judge it, don't you? I think you were saying, Tina, that there's like a, was it called the snatch point or something where you actually just sort of literally take it out of the tray and go, yep, that's that's the right point. I'm calling it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because it, 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 it sometimes it develops in one corner of the image and sort of spreads across the image as well. That's called infectious development. So it can be quite unpredictable. You think that nothing's happening and then all of a sudden it sort of streaks across the paper. Ooh, I like that idea. I guess you could use that as quite a creative um, sort of effect. Yeah, and it, and it also, because that is dictated by the length of time, well, the, the amount of times the developer's been used, so it can really, really slow down. The, the temperature will affect it as well. So it, it is more about producing the image in the tray by eye than it is about, um, you know, like being terribly accurate with timings, which is what you're more used to doing in the dark room. It was, it was actually after wet plate, it was my second um, alternative technique that I wanted to try. But then I, I think I read somewhere that it will be, or it is already really difficult to get papers for lift printing. Oh, yeah. You, the people who do lift printing tend to be terrible hoarders. We spend a lot of time on eBay and <laughs> getting bidding wars with people because there are certain papers that you end up, you just go, oh, that's my paper. I really like it. And I really like a paper called Oriental Seagull. And whenever I see it, uh, and on another one I really like is called Forte, which was a Hungarian paper which hasn't been made for donkey's years. And you occasionally see that on eBay, but it's so expensive now. Yeah, but, that's why I actually decided not to do the list printing and go the other ways. But <laughs> it's so I, I love the look of it. Yeah, it looks amazing, doesn't it? I think there was um, it was Sarah from Twenty Four Feet who who'd been doing some art that I saw on Instagram, and they looked absolutely wonderful. Just just. I don't know. There's something very special about about lift printing. I would love to love to try that out. But as you say, it's uh, it's down to the cost of the papers and the and the rarity of of those. I think as well. It's funny you should mention um, Tim actually because um, Graham went and met him at the exhibition that he had on recently, um, along with um, one of our other listeners, Andrew Bartram. So uh, um, I think Graham came over all um, fanboy esque and uh, was was too shy to speak to him properly. <laughs> Um, and uh, Andrew, the uh, our listener, he was uh, he was like, oh, so you need to chat to uh, Graham. He runs his podcast called Sunny Sixteen, and Graham was like, no, shush, 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 Andrew, <laughs> don't don't embarrass me. Oh my god. Um, but we're hoping that at some point he might come on uh, on the show and, and chat to us. So that would that would be lovely. Um, obviously, Tina, you you've met him, done workshops with him. He no, sounds no, like a very no, nice chat. No, no, I haven't met him. I oh, know. have you not? Oh, <laughs> sorry. I've watched a lot of his videos. I see. I see. Yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> one other thing about these obsolete papers there's there's mm. a, a guy called Mike Crawford mm -hmm. who's um, a very good lift printer he was given a great big package of um, obsolete and discontinued papers and he handed them out to lots of photographers and um, they all produced work and he has this um, piece called obsolete and discontinued that that's been on show I think in I think it's been in Slovenia, it's been in Germany, it was on in Spain, it's going to be in London as well. And there's a lot of different people using all of these different papers, some of them with lift, some of them just print, printing straight up. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of it was that all the papers were obsolete, discontinued, unavailable. That's so. such a lovely yeah. sounding project. Yeah. So it's on tour, is it then? Um, it's going to be on in London in, I think, in the spring at some point. I, I'll, I'll have a quick look and see if I can give you the information now. Yeah, that would be wonderful. And um, I can always put that in the show notes as well so that people will know when to go and, and, and see that. Um, that sounds sounds awesome um it's it's funny that this uh the conversation seems to be quite focused on papers actually um i was um having to think about this for the project that i've been doing in birmingham i don't know if um, we've chatted about this since but um 
just before Christmas, I was up on the top of a sort of skyscraper in inverted commas in in Birmingham. They get about as high as 25 floors. <laughs> I was on the 22nd floor out on the rooftop um, taking um, pinhole images across the, the skyline of, of Birmingham. And um, what I'm going to be doing is turning those large format four by five inch uh, negatives into cyanotypes and blowing them up to be very large uh, pieces, sort of like 1.7 metres by three metres, that kind of thing. Um, so I've been discussing uh, with some, the drum scanner um, companies and what have you how to how to do that, but also how to make the cyanotypes from them where the fibres from the paper won't be too distracting because what I really want is obviously the softness of the pinhole um, images um, combined with the large format. That's why I chose large format so that I'd be able to blow it up large enough that it would uh, it would hold that softness without becoming too pixely or what have you once I've given them the high res final scans um but alongside that what I wanted to do was um because I was shooting images from the top of the uh, building I also wanted to incorporate some of the um the blueprints of the building if you like the actual floor plan and originally obviously blueprints were you know how we created blueprints was through the cyanotype process so um i thought it'd be a nice way of of mixing the modern and the and the obviously very old of the traditional processes um so it's been a bit of a challenge trying to find some papers that will do the job well enough that will be um still thin enough sorry that will be flat enough um, without seeing so much of the fibres, um, but that were that are heavy enough that have the right weight in order for them to work properly as a cyanotype, you know, print. Um, so that's the challenge at the minute. So um, I'm also going to be um, paper nerding out <laughs> over various different samples and things. I think I'll have to um, get in touch with the people you mentioned, actually, Tina, and see what they can what they can do for me. <laughs> That'd be great. Because I don't think the the chi or Chinese or Japanese ones will be for you then. They, no. yeah, you really see a structure or they are mm. so thin that they will not uh, yeah you they just disintegrate wouldn't they you know that that's the that's the other problem so it's either that or you've got yeah you've got too much of the of the fiber and and what have you in it um so yeah so all well, that that's like really that. interesting did you find it did you find it tina oh uh, yes i did yes great yeah it's there's a facebook page for it but there's also Quite quite a lot of different artists who who've been represented in their habit on their pages. So um, what I'll do is I'll send you some links. Lovely, that'd be that'd be great. Um, we had another question come through, which um, perhaps you could talk us through as well. So um, it was asking about whether you choose a theme for your work, um, and do you do that over a particular period of time? Are you quite single-minded in terms of the equipment that you use to shoot the theme? Or do you do it for specific su submissions, or is it that you just do it as, exactly as you feel is right on the day? Um, Isabel, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that um, yeah. and how you choose choose how you approach that. I think that there is there is two two ways for me, and uh, most of the time so far I've gone the very intuitive one, mm -hmm. which is the I just found the theme by shooting, so it, it kind of it kind of found me. Mm -hmm. so out, I took pictures and they formed a theme together. It's usually quite um, short projects that I've been working on. So it could be a roll of film, it could be a walk. Um, so it's not a long project. Ah, so literally just, you know, the time that it takes you to shoot one roll of film from beginning to end. and Exactly and that. Kind of thing. that. Okay. So if it's then one, two or three days, but I'm mm -hmm. still in the same mood. I'm still in the same, yeah, mm -hmm. space, so to say. So mm -hmm. um, that's so far, but I have a few ideas that I've been pushing aside for now. And um, one of them I'm, I finally put on my list uh, for things to do this year, being focusing on certain projects. And that mm -hmm. will be a much longer term one. And there I have the idea and the theme already. I already have a, yeah, a kind of idea how I want to do it. The only thing that I know very, that I'm, what I'm very sure about is that it will be wet played. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Uh, that means I have to get back into wet plate. Um, mm -hmm. I did a training last year and I loved it. Mm. Um, so, um, which also means I have to get a bigger camera, which I'm <laughs> now. So that oh, no. <laughs> things. <laughs> Not another camera. This is terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, <I> <laughs> so, 
people, I have to get an uh, fi- 8x10 or 5x7 camera. Fab deal. Fabulous. <laughs> my, um, my, um, my old wet plate camera, Albert, they all have names, mine do, I'm afraid. Um, he's, a, he's a handmade out of, out of wood from about 1900, we reckon. And it is not 5x4 or 10x8 or 6x whatever. It, it's just sort of We're some random... <laughs> Just some random thing in between. We're not entirely sure what, um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, uh, obviously, I have to cut my, my own glass for that and what have you. And um, like yourself, Isabel, I I just want to get back into into my wet plate because I I absolutely loved it when I did it. I really really thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's just again, it's that um, it's time. It always comes down to time. And and I'm sure you you probably feel the the same. Uh, that there's always so much to do and so little time to to do it. And I've got my chemicals sitting in my uh, my tin bath at home, <laughs> in the fireplace, um, which is basically because I can't put, fit them in the food fridge. So uh, so they sit in the tin bath instead, and it's nice and uh, and cold there. <laughs> um, uh, but and and the guys obviously Graham and Age laugh at me for the fact that I have a tin bath sitting in a fireplace in an old Victorian house in in Liverpool. Is thinking, do we have an indoor toilet? But we do have an indoor toilet, just so you know. Um, but uh, but I found it works works fine. Um, but yeah, so I need to get back into uh, into my into my wet plate as well. I was hoping to do that over the sort of Christmas break, you know, uh, December to January kind of thing, and then be raring to go. And then unfortunately, I came down ill like yourself, Isabel, and it just really put me put me back. Unfortunately, so I'm very pleased to hear you're um, you're going to be going b- uh, back into that. Um, that sounds awesome, Tina. Is it something you've you've done uh, much of wet plate? Um, no, no, I haven't. Um, I, I, uh, <laughs> I have a, a love-hate relationship with wet plate. Okay. Because I find that I, I, it's got a lot better recently, but when I first started noticing it, there were lots and lots and lots of people who looked like Victorian criminals in really shallow focus. <laughs> and I got a bit fed up of it. And I, I have quite dark skin, so when I'm photographed for wet plate, mm. I look really black. <laughs> I, the way I look in, in wet plate because I just look really really um just I just look like a really weird color um next to yeah, everything else my, yeah my um my friend has beautiful blue eyes my husband has beautiful blue eyes and 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 I kind of felt like when I saw images of them it really worked for me in wet plate and then when I saw some you know a shot of myself I thought oh god it doesn't work you know for me I did I wasn't happy with how I came across in that image generally I don't really care that much um I think I'm just like yeah well whatever but um but yeah I was I was a bit disappointed in how um you know my identity and how I I came across on that how that looked so I guess that's that's down to me and how I was feeling about myself maybe at the time but um I don't know if that's if if that's something you identify with as well Tina if that if that was the the issue for you or is it about the process itself that you just felt there was too many people doing it at that time I think I got a bit fed up with everybody wanting to do it because we had a lot of we have a lot of people come and do the wet plate courses at the dark room and that sure. means that um I can't get in the dark room so of course I resent that. <laughs> <laughs> but um and I mean when I say about it being well about it making me look really black I mean I don't have a problem like that it's just that I suddenly look about 50 50 shades darker than absolutely everybody else in the picture mm. it just always looks really really odd because it, it's something to do with the red scale I think it is yeah. the red the, the way that it filters out red light um but no I hadn't done it but I'm doing a project at the moment that means that I am messing about with collodion a little bit mm, so I was I was printing on shells but that that that's proved to be a bit of a pain but I'm now printing <laughs> on smartphones oh of course of course you are seeing it why why didn't I th- guess that I mean you know I, I totally could have guessed that <laughs> it was like what's yeah. the most unlikely thing yeah probably that <laughs> that sounds awesome so is that for a particular project is this something you've come up with or is this a commission or it's a project it's about um I've been doing this quite long-term project about transracial adoption and um about image because I'm transracially adopted and um the idea is that when you're transracially adopted you're you're taken from one place and put in another you're transplanted onto another thing so okay. it's the images I'm taking portraits of other transracial adoptees and then I'm put I'm printing them on found things mm. so 
some of the things I found are broken phones, um, shells that have been discarded, things like that. And the phone's quite a good medium to do it on because it's got this black screen on it. It has to be on smartphones. And mm-hmm. so the, it's just the idea of then putting a photograph onto <laughs> a thing that you make a snap selfie with. That's what that was. Yeah. Called. I really like that. I think that's a really fabulous way of, of looking at it. I mean, it's the tradition, the original sort of selfie, you know, self-portrait, but using wet plate instead, and you've you've given it a modern twist. That's that's awesome. Um, is that going to be displayed as part of an exhibition, or what? What what's your final um, part of the process with this? Well, it's extremely expensive. What I'm mm. playing at the moment because I'm doing a lot of. Um, colour film as well but now we've got the colour dark room it's a lot easier because it used to be about 15 quid a pop to have a film developed but now I can do them myself yeah so that's good that made things a bit better but I'm I'm looking for funding so I'm in the middle of applying for some funding for it mm. so wish you luck yeah absolutely loads of luck with that I hope so fingers crossed yeah. um uh Isabel is that um is that something that you also seek because um obviously working as an artist as well um you do you tend to go in and apply for funding for these projects or do you very much do them um fund them and come up with the ideas and things uh commission them for yourself almost yeah so far they are home funded Mm-hmm. But um, unfortunately, all funds, uh, all those funds have an end. <laughs> so unfortunately, my my projects for this year, I'm actually funding by selling equipment. Okay. Quite simple, and mm-hmm. um, be focusing, so to say, my equipment um, mm-hmm. on what I really want to have in the future for this year. So it's almost like a capsule wardrobe, but for yeah. cameras instead and equipment. It's a, it's a I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think cameras. that's how I need to approach <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> What's my capsule camera wardrobe? Excellent. Yeah, that's kind of how I spent my my weeks uh, on the couch and in bed when I was sick, trying mm. to figure out what is it, what what kind of equipment do I need um, to to create the projects that I want to do this year. Mm-hmm. and how much funding would I need for that and then yeah. do the backwards calculation and say okay so this, <laughs> this, this they have to go sorry <laughs> that's how it is but, oh uh, is it breaking your heart some of this you know sort of having to sell it or are you feeling like actually no this is this is great because it takes one thing that I can I can you know give to somebody else well not give to somebody I can sell to somebody else it means that I get the funds to do the next part of the project and it goes to a good home it's a bit how of you- both it's a bit of both yeah. but one some things it's it's relatively easy to say yeah I, I, cha- I exchange one thing for something new and it's wonderful mm-hmm. but um, I will have to let go of my little Hasselblad flex body and that <laughs> hurts a tiny bit oh, but I know why I'm doing it and then I hope in the end um, it will be just uh, just mm. exactly as I envision it mm, yeah uh, yeah absolutely it'll be worth it in the end I'm sure it will <laughs> and I love the idea I have a capsule uh, not wardrobe but camera I know capsule camera collection there we go <laughs> <laughs> how about you Tina sorry <laughs> how about you Tina does that appeal to you having a capsule camera collection or uh, do you just get everything and hoard it all like me <laughs> um, my camera collection is completely out of control uh, <laughs> my boss <laughs> <laughs> I I because people give me cameras so not so much anymore because people have started to use them but I I've been given about 30 cameras over the last few years Ooh, and wow. I mean yeah I've got way too many my my husband goes to flea markets every Sunday and he usually comes back quite often comes back with something for me as well so well that's nice at least he's not like oh for god's sake like mine <laughs> Rach seriously <laughs> another camera my god okay one in one out kind of option <laughs> Uh, we're, we're quite lucky we've got a two-bedroom flat and uh, so we have this spare room which is full of mainly my cameras but there's also he's, he collects musical instruments so there's a lot of those so if and, he cats. And, and well we've just got the one cat yeah one cat. <laughs> but if he complained about my cameras I would say well then you have to get rid of your balama <laughs> oh wait sorry that's some kind of Turkish guitar thing balama I think it Ooh. is that, I've never heard of that. That sounds really cool. I'll have to check that. It's like a lute with a very long, thin neck. Mm. Really I think that there definitely seems to be like a theme of music and photography. And, you know, the, there always seems to be 
some kind of connection between the two I think a lot of people who are interested in photography are also interested in music or either you know they go to a lot of gigs or they play an instrument or something like that as well so uh, yeah they're often around like my my violins and cameras and all sorts of stuff uh, yeah (laughs) littering up the house definitely um uh well should we take a quick break i'm gonna go and get another cup of tea how do you ladies feel should we go and uh, do that and you can you can cough cough your lungs up again if you want <laughs> isabel for a bit <laughs> and we'll come, we'll come back to <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much we'll be back after this And we're back from the break. Um, hopefully all much more lubricated. I have my tea, a new tea. Does anybody else have a nice drink with them? Hot drink? Got water. <laughs> yeah. Got some water. Okay, good. Um, I've dismissed Aid. He's uh, he's busy doing a bit of recording for us today, but um, but we don't need him in the conversation as well. Uh, Tina was just making me laugh and I nearly spat my tea out over my over my laptop, actually, um, talking about the wonders of cafes in, in London and the interesting things they serve. So uh, I, I, I've learned a new word. What was it again, Tina? I think it's ducker. Okay. <laughs> Some sort of nutty thing, but you don't even get bread. Terrible, terrible behaviour. Yeah, <laughs> Very odd. Um, anyway, so uh, back to our little um, uh, female photographer uh, podcast episode. Um, I was going to ask you um, about um, your different approaches. Uh, I had uh, a question that came through, which was about how you deal with uh, creative blocks and what are some of your biggest challenges. And I wondered if you could tell us how you tend to approach those. Um, do you both get creative blocks? I know that I do all the time. Uh, I have real, real difficulty um, with with getting past it. Um, do you have any advice or any tips or anything that you find has helped you in the past? Um, Tina? Do you want to start? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I feel like I've got one now. I can't think of anything. Um, well, I, I've usually got about three or four different projects going. So what will happen is like, my interest will wane in one project and then I'll just get on with something else. So I've been making a pinhole camera out of, um, you know, those uh, drawer things that they used to keep movable type in that people put knickknacks in now. You know oh um yeah like a type setting um that they used to use for newspapers yeah yeah yes yeah, yeah you, get, you get those trays they're about a meter long aren't they yeah and, they're beautiful and, yeah it, like actual like wooden works of art themselves I think they're really cool well I found one in the street about two years ago and uh, picked it up because I'm a scavenger and <laughs> hang on a minute this wasn't in this wasn't in um what was it Shoreditch or something was it <laughs> south of the river it was um <laughs> it was in Southwark yeah yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't a big arty enclave but anyway it was, pretty, <laughs> it was the most important thing about it and it was a bit broken so I thought I'll drill holes in it and, and put pinholes in it and I've I've uh, I've done that so far with the top half and I think I've got 26 little pinholes in that that's and awesome I, I I set it up and took a photograph of a chair with it not long ago and then I sort of lost interest in it because it's such a faff making all the pinholes because mm-hmm. there's three sections so I have to make nearly 90 pinholes and oh my god that's so I'm cutting up coca-cola cans and putting the pin through yeah. and so it gets a point where you're probably thinking oh do you know what if I saw another <laughs> pinhole <laughs> well I thought I probably won't go to Lewis I won't, I won't go south of the river again <laughs> dangerous behavior (laughs) I got a bit bored with that so I mean like I've got the little racist projects that I'm doing I'm going to Bangladesh in a couple of weeks to give some workshops as part of the Dhaka Art Summit and I'll be doing cyanotypes with that with um I don't know the people that come to the workshop um so I've been doing a lot of tests on fabric because Mm. what I want them to do is make um a tableau so like you know you often get these big cyanotypes where people just lie on the sheets you, have you seen those the, the really like big the yoga ones and and things like that where people are in poses yes I hadn't seen those until quite recently but the the ones of um the really big ones that um Constanza can't remember her surname um mm. Constanza does and Melanie Catherine King from the London Alternative Photography Collective they did the world record cyanotypes a couple of years ago so they had these great big sheets they had people lying on 
outside UCL in London. And I'm going to do something similar like that. But in the workshop, mm -hmm. I'm going to get the participants in the workshop to come across, come up with a story mm -hmm. that they then create some kind of tableau that they will lie on the sheet or they will put things on the sheet to tell the story. So we'll have this, we're hopefully a big banner that's about three metres long that's made of cyanotype at the end Fantastic. of it. Fantastic. Well, I've just seen today on the news about the, the Bayer Tapestry perhaps coming over <laughs> um, to to the UK as well. So uh, it would be like that, but a, <laughs> a smaller version maybe. It's that sort of idea where you're telling a, a story in a sort mm. of long scroll, because a lot of my work is done on scrolls, making long pieces as well. So at the moment, I'm I'm spending a lot of time working out how to get the chemistry onto the cloth and make sure that the cloth doesn't have contaminants in it that fogs mm. the chemistry, because I've had all that happening. So I spent quite a few weeks doing that. <laughs> and trying to get it on evenly, I imagine, is a, is a real challenge as well. How do you tend to, uh, do you use paintbrushes? Do you use glass rods? How, how do you approach it, Tina? With this, I just make a big bucket of cyanotype chemistry and I dump Spray it? it. No, okay. Because I'm using quite thin muslin, you know, the... Yeah. Uh, then um, cloth and yeah. it soaks up really well um I did a I when I was doing some tests I don't know if you saw it on Instagram I actually tied one round a tree oh no I didn't see that that sounds awesome exposed it on the tree and it, it came out quite well that did yeah fabulous that's very cool I like that a lot yeah. so um so do you find that in terms of um when you hit these creative blocks and you get to sort of one point with your project you go Jay, what? I'll put that to one side for now. I need to concentrate on something else. Or you, you just get excited about something else. Then you want to start that. Do you go back to the original project? Yeah, usually. I go back to the project, yeah, because yeah. I, I find that I'm I'm one of those people that is not very good at switching off. So mm -hmm. <laughs> there's always something sort of bubbling away in the back of my mind. Yep. So. Mm. That's cool. Isabel, how about yourself? I think I also rather have the opposite pro uh, problem. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a blog post about this, about it this morning, that I need to focus because mm -hmm. I have simply too many ideas. Mm -hmm. and, um, it's, it's, there are more and more and more. And um, now I needed to take a break and say, okay, which ones am I going to actually focus on? The rest mm -hmm. will not be forgotten. They end up in a nice little notebook and um, mm -hmm. for later times. And I think that's also my recommendation. All the ideas you have, store them somewhere so that you can work with them later again. Mm. yeah yeah do you know it, it gets exhausting doesn't it you know having that that cliche of 120 and 20,000 tabs open at once on the computer yeah. like your brain and and it but it does to a certain extent definitely feel like that and and trying to switch off is I think honestly the biggest challenge that I have because um I don't know about yourselves but <clears throat> when because uh, I'm running my own business um doing what I'm doing with this so you're working like Monday to Friday as normal pe normal people <laughs> inverted commas would do um and then then you're also working obviously in the evenings and then you're also working at the weekends because that's potentially when the projects are happening you know on Saturdays and Sundays and things like that um and so then there is no there's no other like time to sort of switch off and when um when you kind of like I was doing this, as I mentioned, this project in Birmingham, and and it was in a commercial building, and I and I was like, right, okay, well, I'll be, I'll be there. I'll set up a on-site little dark room. I'll process there, you know, in the evenings, and that will mean that I've, I've worked out what's worked, what hasn't worked, and I can, you know, um, organize how to how to approach that uh, the next day. And I'll get in, you know, six in the morning, and then I'll shoot through. No, um, I had to be out at half past five. And it was like, oh, my God. And I couldn't get back in until nine in the morning. And I thought, well, I mean, it was it was a great project to do. But that's just stressed me the hell out because I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm losing like another maybe eight hours that I would normally work, you know, four extra hours in the evening or four in the morning that I just can't actually get into the building to do this work. So uh, I forgot that's what normal people do. <laughs> Um, and uh, and yeah, so I had to kind of like adapt my approach to how how I worked within within that, and uh, I did find that quite a big challenge actually, um, personally. And uh, uh, I was talking to Graham and Aid about this before as as well on a previous show that 
my friend had bought me a really nice notebook as you say Isabel I think that's a great idea you just write them down so you've always got those ideas there and I just I'd filled the first page you know in in 10 minutes I was like right great and then realized I got 28 ideas that apparently I was going to do this year and it's already the middle of January oh god um which is terrifying um I think every time I look at the calendar I get a I lose like you know an extra few minutes off my life because I'm so stressed about how quickly the time disappears um so yeah any any advice or any any ways that you would say you need to slow down it's it's quite ironic really isn't it that I chose analog photography because it slows you down and and gives you more time to think about things and and then you know it's ended up creating this chaos in, in my life <laughs> people forget all the options that we have with analog photography mm. and when you start with analog photography you also automatically start looking into old processes you look yeah. into the whole history that yeah. lies behind it and there is so much and and i think probably we all have that problem we want to try it all we yeah. want to try every single camera we want to try every single film i want to try every single paper i want to see mm. how they all work together and yeah. and it's just simply not possible it's not all those ideas come up that project and that yeah. project and that project yeah. and that again and then we need the time for the training and then we yeah. and at one point it's just all this excitement just it just collapses in a way <laughs> and it, that's the problem isn't it it's I think generally because I think we're probably all naturally curious people you know like we're interested in things and we want to try things and we want to you know um perhaps share that you know I know that I do I love going oh my god this is amazing new technique or something that I've heard about you know that Isabel mentioned or that Tina's doing this and it's like oh yes need to try that try that <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, uh, or it's somebody will say something completely, you know, in a, in a different sphere, maybe a different field even. And I'll be thinking, how do I adapt that to use that with analog photography? Or there's some way that I can collaborate with them or, you know, this kind of thing. And um, I really love doing that. Actually, that was one of the questions I had for you, for you both was um, about collaboration. Do you um, tend to like to work alone? Um, or do you like to work with other people and how do you feel you work best? Um, Tina, maybe could you take that one first? I, I love working with other people. I, mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy it because it's, it's very easy to disappear up your own fundament if you're working on your own. <laughs> other That's a T-shirt if ever I heard one. <laughs> other people give you um, ideas. Other people, um, quite often because you get this other pair of eyes looking at your work, uh, when you're stuck with something it's 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 nice to be able to you know sort of push ideas around mm. uh, and I really it's one of the things that I really appreciate about the darkroom that I'm a member of I, I until I was a member of the darkroom I would just go out and shoot mm. and then I would print and then I'd put them under my bed and forget about them but um because I know I, I share a studio with another person which is above the darkroom um we we'll meet we might be printing together we'll talk about something we'll go up to the studio and talk about it show each other work and then think of something we might do together so that's how this exhibition that we're doing um tomorrow has come about is is it's it's very much that uh, like you say it's a collective as well isn't it so it's it, as you say fundamentally it's about working with other people um yeah. and and to to create something that's bigger than just what you're doing as well yeah. I guess yeah, yeah. That's um about giving workshops as well yes yeah. in the workshop talking to everybody about when they're learning the process and then they start asking you questions about well what if I do this and I'll say Oh, I'd never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It gives you other things to think about as well, doesn't it? So it's, sometimes it's really nice to go, actually, you've got a problem. I've I've been there, done it. I know how to help you with that. And other times something will come up and you're thinking, I haven't got a bloody clue how to deal with this, but we'll figure it out together, you know? And I think that's, that's one of the nice things, I think, specifically about the analogue photography community is that there is a lot of um passion there for helping each other to solve these problems and there's such a wealth of knowledge that actually the more you talk to other people it can really help you to um to overcome these challenges and to see things like you said in a in a different way which is which is really nice i think the other part of it is that it can be a bit of a double-edged sword because i know for myself when i'm um because i'm always 
looking at who I can work with next and how we can collaborate and how we can um, create something exciting and new and different by using both our heads, you know, putting them all together. Um, but I then also get distracted by that um, and it ends up being um, all this idea, all that idea and how we can do this. And it's about taking it to that next next step and making sure it actually happens as opposed to just having these conversations. So um, I think maybe I just need a bigger notebook. <laughs> maybe that's a solution. Um, Isabel, how about, how about yourself? How do you feel about collaboration and how that works? Or are you quite um, that you work on your own for yourself as an individual? Um, how, what do you think works best? For me, definitely working on my own. Mm -hmm. um, I need that quiet. I need that. Yeah, I need that non-distracted, non-destructive <laughs> um, environment. Otherwise, I don't get things done. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I will just talk and discuss and uh, share ideas. And, and and it's not that I don't love sharing ideas. That's why I write a blog. That's why I'm active on the internet. Um, especially the film community is wonderful. I love sharing, I love asking questions, I love giving advice. Um, I love also one-on-one um, -on -one co collaborations or one-on-one -on -one discussions. But I'm not really, as, as soon as it gets something bigger, then I get too easily distracted. And um, it, it just, I, I work better with the goal in my mind, I work better on my own. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's really interesting, actually, how, you know, a lot of what we do is similar in that we, we are all interested in alternative processes and um, very hands-on physical kind of like printing work and creating things. But how we approach it in terms of collaborative or non-collaborative, it's interesting that we come at it from different perspectives. So, um, so that that's that's cool. Um in terms of uh, approaches to photography, just wanted to ask um, a quick question about um, gender and how do you see yourselves and how you fit in with what other photographers are doing at the minute, both male and female? Um, is, there, is there anything that you, uh, any thoughts on that? Um, Tina, maybe? Um, I, I'm, well, I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff around self-image and the way that um, people are seen. And, and and about the I, I've got this thing about the notion that there is such a thing as some kind of marvelous photographer that some people are really good at photography some people are massively talented at it and and they have a gift you know I, I, I don't agree with that I think that's not true I think that um, different people just approach photography in different ways mm. and um, I can't think what I'm trying to say actually it's <laughs> fine it's it's more about um, as a as a woman, whether you have a whether you think you have a different approach to photography from um, <clears throat> sorry how how you see yourself fitting into photography and what's happening at the minute as a woman uh, and what other photographers, female and male, are doing um, and where where you sort of see yourself fitting in with that. Do you feel like it's it's very similar or that it's quite dissimilar or how do you see that? I don't really see myself as a photographer in the first place. I'm just okay. The, the camera is the instrument that I use mm. uh, to get the pictures that I want. But m my work is really about the finished object and I make objects. They just happen to use photography. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, 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 I don't really get involved in discussions around photography and kit and theory around a, a lot around photography. So yeah. you focus on the final product and the object itself, really. That's what you're... Yeah, because I don't really understand about focal planes and all of that stuff. I just know, is it in focus or isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and that is totally valid to say, well, okay, it's not in focus, but that's the way I wanted it. <laughs> and, you know, who, who's anybody else to say that that's not right? Because this is how you, you approach it. And that's, and that's what you want to do. Isabel, do you have any thoughts on that? Also, I would say I'm also most interested in the final product. Mm -hmm. um and oh, product object object is better and <laughs> photography is for me just one part i'm also looking into painting and I'm, I'm writing and so i think I, I don't have this i don't see myself like tina i don't see myself as a photographer really i still have a problem writing somewhere isabel court is photographer mm. because um, it's Artist also sounds a bit weird, but it's probably closer to what it is mm -hmm. because I want to create something. 
And sure. uh, for that, when you look at now at gender, I don't think there is a big difference between male and female. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we all have our individual styles, our, as, as Tina started, our individual talents. And um, so I think all, all our work, if we really go back to doing things that we love, will be individual in any way. Mm -hmm. I think Graham said um, a couple of weeks ago, there's the famous quote about, you know, um, if you want to take more interesting pictures, point your camera at more interesting things. And he actually said something I really enjoyed, actually, was that he was saying maybe it's about being a more interested person. So because if you're generally interested in whatever it is you're shooting, whether that's very mundane or, you know, you're if you're interested in it, it's going to create a more interesting image. Um, and it's like you were saying, it's about being passionate about that, isn't it? Yeah. You should shoot what is closest to your heart, what you really love. And we all know that. People say, yeah, but I, I, I like the work that this photographer does. But you will anyway never be able to create what he does or what she does mm -hmm. because they feel it differently. Even if you create the same, go to the same spot, do the same exact photo, it won't be the same mm -hmm. because that other photographer felt differently about it. So rather go out, see how you feel about it and then shoot what is closest to your heart. And whether it's your family, whether it's uh, it's uh, transgender, um, or what was it, transracial, exactly. Um, transracial background, or what it is, whether it's nature, dreams, shoot that. And then mm -hmm. it will be individual work. And you'll fit in. Yeah, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But it doesn't really matter in the end. Yeah. It matters if you like it, if you love what you're doing. No, yeah, I think I think that's great. Yeah, Tina, sorry, were you going to say? No, I was just saying, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> no, absolutely. If you're passionate about it and it's it's what you love, I think I think that's a really nice way of, of putting it. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what anybody else feels about that. It's how you feel about it at the end, isn't it? At the end of the day. Um, that... Um, that's been really, really fantastic. Thank you so much, um, both of you, for, for everything you've uh, talked to us about today. It's been really interesting to have a have a little bit more of a, um, a deeper discussion with you over it. Um, before we sort of finish up, I wondered if we could have a little chat about other um, female film photographers who we, who we like and who we admire. And I wondered if you guys had got some... Uh, some names for us, some inspirations, anybody who you think um, you'd like to point other other female photographers towards um, who might enjoy that, and male, obviously, male photographers who um, might be in, interested in, in seeing what else is out there. Um, Tina, do you have a, a couple of people who you might want to mention? Yeah, someone I really like is uh, Natalie Chemist. Um, she's on um, Instagram, and she does a lot of work with pinhole cameras. And mm -hmm. she just has this very interesting approach. She makes pinhole cameras out of all kinds of strange things. Like um, she's she made a pinhole camera out of a film canister quite recently. So really little, like teeny, weeny, tiny ones. Yeah, I love that. They're, they're great fun to do. Have, have either of you had a go at that? They're so I, much fun. I haven't made one out of a, anything small, no. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed doing that. I, I made one out of a, a coconut for Worldwide Pinhole Photography Day. That was a lot of fun because... Um, there was the whole roast duck thing. <laughs> um, and I was like, I'm not making a pinhole out of a, out of a roast duck because I'm vegetarian for one. Um, so I decided to use a vegetable instead um, and uh, ended up being being a, um, uh, a coconut instead. So uh, I, I like the sound of what this lady's doing already. What's her name again, Tina? Sorry. Natalie Chemist. Okay, fantastic. Is she on like Instagram and Twitter yes, and things? Yes, yeah. yes, she is. Yeah. Excellent. And another person that I really like on Instagram is Mirren Kessling. I don't know if you know her. She just, um, she's doing these really interesting portraits of women that are um, they're just quite exceptional. Like, um, oh, let me think. Um, <laughs> she's done some ones where she's put um, like fabric over somebody's head and sort of blown it about and it just they're just amazing they're really really beautiful images just using very very simple tools and, mm. and very interesting lighting I, I mm. like a lot she, the, the, the way that she uses light in her work is is really interesting but I, I'll send you a link to her work on Instagram as well yes and please, she, please she also do. Has a lot of drawing as well oh fantastic yeah the um 
there's something that always draws me towards that whole simple is better you know well not necessarily better but it's it's definitely we get overwhelmed don't we sometimes by all of the the trappings of trying to make these things work and sometimes it's just about you know switching off all of the lights and just starting again with one you know or it's about getting rid of all the rest of the distraction um and focusing on one particular thing you know and and from that letting it grow so uh, I like the idea of using very simple um sort of things like you said just a piece of fabric or something um and you know a little bit of a breeze and it makes the whole the difference between uh, you know uh, a good shot a uh, you know decent shot and something that actually has got a lot more soul to it so yeah that sounds great thank you very much um Isabel do you have anybody who you'd like to mention I, I definitely enjoy um, the work of uh, Deborah Parkin. Um, I even have two of her books. Um, she, the pictures that she took, uh, especially wet plate pictures of um, kids, they, they are just hauntingly beautiful. Mm. I love those. There are some really beautiful series. I actually don't know if, if she's on Instagram. I know she's on Twitter, but um, mm-hmm. barely at the moment. Um, and apart from that, I also like the work, uh, work of uh, Julia Bayer. Mm-hmm. Sort of, um, nah, Polaroid. So something, uh, both things very different from my own work, mm-hmm. uh, which I find very inspirational. Fantastic. No, thank you very much for those. I think... Um, <clears throat> I was just going to add a couple um, of my own as well. The, um, there's a lady called Ellen who's at Feel of Film. Um, I really like the the work that she does. Um, I think she's very um, very prominent in the community, and it's really nice to see uh, see what she does with hers. Um, along with Monica as well, who's at Dr. Mars Rover. Um, uh, I don't know if you've heard of either of those ladies yourself. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. What was that? Sorry, Isabel. Definitely, Monica. I yes. love pinhole work. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And and I just think they're very engaged in you know that conversation on, online as well, and that makes uh, makes a big difference. It's nice to see other other women actually, you know, um, having a conversation, sort of like being there, being known, and being seen. And I think. For me, one of the big things um, is that whole idea of you got to see it to be it kind of thing. So for for young female photographers coming up, it, if they can see somebody else who's doing that and aspire to it or or at least have some sort of interest or see, um, you know, have some sort of curiosity over it and think, oh, yeah, somebody else has already started doing that. But maybe if I took it and tried it in a different way and they can start to grow their own practice really from it. I think that's that's really important to uh, to keeping that going. Yeah, definitely also Lily Schwartz. Mm-hmm, yeah. And um, Lucy Wainwright. Yeah, Lucy does loads of fantastic work. Again, very similar. I see her around a lot online. Yeah, their own little <clears throat> magazine. She shoots film. Yeah. Um, excellent work. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, just before we came on uh, on the call, actually, I came across, um, I already follow her, but there's um, uh, a lady called uh, Natalie Analog, A-N-A-L-O-G, and um, there was a fabulous shot of her with a really uh, large format camera. I think it was like a 10 by 24 or something like that. It was, it looked amazing. So um, yeah, she looked like she was out shooting with that and having a lot of fun. So uh, so yeah, that's somebody else who I would suggest you go and have a little look and and check that out. Um, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is just about to go, ladies. So talk amongst yourself for just a second. <laughs> okay, um, I'm back. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much again for um, for all of that and for, for the chat today. Um, I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have too. I, I won't keep you much longer because I know you've got to go and finish off your project ready for, for tomorrow. Was it tomorrow, uh, Tina, that it's launching? It is launching tomorrow. But before we go, can I, can I um, make a little call out for something? Of course you can. Okay, because I'm taking over a, a website. I'm taking over looking after a website project for somebody, and um, it's a pin. It's mainly pinhole um, pinhole work that we're going mm-hmm. to be uh, showing on the website. And the way I want to run it is to have guest editors. And so the idea is that I'll hand the reins over to somebody to um, come up with things things that they would like to be on the site, 
they would also be interviewed on the site and there would be uh, a piece about the work that they do but then they would suggest other people's work that would come on the site mm. and um, they would say like be the guest editor for about a month or so and then they would recommend somebody else or I would find somebody else to do it so I'm looking for people who would be interested in um, pre- um, presenting work on the site and possibly guest editing and it's it's it starts off with pinhole cameras but it is mainly just about analog photography Fantastic. So who knows where it might go? And I think that's really lovely as well. It gives the opportunity to be organic. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because I don't want it to just be about what I like, because it could all get very, very boring, very quickly. <laughs> and and so when are you taking over the reins from that and, and start, sort of that will be starting from, Tina? I'm hoping to launch the site again um, after I get back from Bangladesh. So it will be towards the end of February. Um, I've already I've got a few people lined up already but I'm I'm always interested if there are people who'd like to suggest themselves or recommend other people and uh, that would be nice. Mm, Isabel is that something you think you might be looking to to do yeah there we go there's your first contributor hey (laughs) and my second I've got you two (laughs) I'll work have I signed myself up as well now (laughs) what were we just saying that I need to focus and (laughs) oh God, um, no, but thank you very much. That that uh, it sounds really interesting as a project, uh, Dina. And um, yeah, uh, I look I look forward to that. Do you? Is there a website address or URL for it already? No, because it's in the process of changing. I'm I'm changing okay. the format of the site. Uh, so okay. what I wanted to do is to launch quite well uh, with with you know like with a, a full bunch of articles and and some interesting images. So I see together so it'll be uh wait and see and um you'll you'll let us know when that's ready to go so great um uh fantastic well um before we go then could you just um let our listeners know where they can perhaps find you follow you like your your work me Sorry, uh, <clears throat> this is the first time I've led these, as you obviously can tell. Uh, so uh, I forget to say who I was going to ask for. Um, Isabel, do you want to? Uh, you go. You can go first this time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you can find me on uh, Twitter, Isabel Cordes, or also on Instagram with the same name, and um, on my own website. Mm-hmm. Again, the same and Cordes. That's with C U R D E S. Lovely. Thank you very much. And Tina, how about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Tina Rowe, T-I-N-A-R-O-W-E.co.uk. And I'm on Instagram as Tina Row Row Row. So that's Tina R-O-R-O-R-O. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's, it's so good. I feel like it's very um, magical. It's like the uh, the children's rhyme kind of thing, isn't it? <laughs> Which is what I always think about. And I think that's lovely. Um, kind of sums you up. I think that's probably all that we've got time for today. So um, we'll let you get back to your book binding and the, and the projects that you're, you're busy with. Um, and just a, a little shout to our to our listeners. So if you've enjoyed the show today, please let us know. And maybe we'll think about recording another film femme fatale again in the future (laughs) um thanks very much and it's goodbye from me bye bye thanks bye bye